computer on. Yes. Can I see your computer? I don't know what I'm reading oh, yeah. or whatever. I'll get, I'll get that in a second. Uh, okay. Don't worry. I won't leave you high and dry. You can just <laughs> make it up. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Don't encourage Blah, 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 blah. Welcome to the Sprocket Podcast, where we are simplifying the good life. I'm Guthrie Straw. And I'm not Aaron Flores, broadcasting from the People's Republic of Portland, nestled in the heart of Cascadia. We are the show that brings you somewhat irreverent conversations about the intricacies of thinking locally, with a global perspective, and enjoying the best that life has to offer along the way. Covering bicycling, trains, and transit adventures, and life hacks, and today, bike standards. That's right. Yay! Today we have Dennis Delfonso in the studio with us. Hello. Hey, Dennis. Thanks for joining. We also have my proxy reading the intro. (laughs) Thank you so much, proxy. Thanks, proxy. Thanks, proxy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Dennis, tell us a little bit about what you do. Yeah. uh, My name is Dennis Delfonso, and um, I'm currently working at Beeline, uh, Urban Sustainable Delivery, and... Um, we're a business in town that delivers um, product, uh, specifically food um, and other things, uh, to businesses in the metro area via um, uh, uh, sustainable modes of, of delivery, of transportation. So that includes the electric assist box strikes that you might be seeing yes. around Portland um, with ads on the side of them. Um, so um, that's currently what I'm doing right now is I'm a, a writer there and also a lead I route people where to go and uh, what to take uh, throughout the week and um, that's currently what I'm doing right now as well as on the side I'm doing some uh, engineering 3D CAD work uh, in the bike industry uh, a little bit uh, dabbling with that Uh, also volunteer at bike farm um, every week those are kind of my current uh, activities that I'm doing right on nice cool and I'm going to cut us off just a little bit, and I'm going to shut the door because okay. I'm getting a lot of rain sound. Sounds good. It's always that uh, that that tension of ventilation versus soundproofing. It's and true. I think we're going to have to err on the side of soundproofing today. At least our ceiling yeah. is not leaking water this week. It's true. So Yay! That <laughs> sound. There we go. Sweet. Yeah, there will probably be a little bit of ambient rain in this recording, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah just like even, a nice touch. Even with the <laughs> <laughs> just pretend it's December. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Except it's two days away from July. Right. <laughs> but I can dig it. I'll take all the rain it, we can get. You know, it it works. We made it. We made it happen. Um, it's it's Portland, man. It's gonna rain. It's true. It's gonna rain, That's and never let your guard down. It's true. That's why. In my pannier, I always have rain jackets and pants, even in the height of summer, because you never know. Yep. You might not use it a year or two, but you never know when it will rain. <laughs> Learn from Guthrie. That's, that's, that's smart. Learn some yeah. things from me, perhaps. Oh. <laughs> um, oh, maybe we should talk about this? Oh, yeah. yeah. You want to catch up on our week, we, we should maybe catch up. What, what, well, what did you do this week? Okay, I'll, I, I'll go first. My niece <laughs> is in town. Um who who has do- read our intro here this morning? Your proxy, or this afternoon? Yes, my proxy. Um, we did the requisite tourist uh, trip out into the gorge. Nice, Multnomah Falls, and some hiking around there. Did you get up to the top? 
Uh, no, okay. but it is open. Yeah, I heard they recently got that back open. Yeah, we couldn't find parking at uh, Multnomah Falls, so we parked at Joaquina. Okay. And hiked out to Multnomah that way. Nice. Yeah. That's a good That hike. was pretty awesome. Um, we visited the fish hatchery, mm-hmm. which I don't know if anybody's... Have you guys Did you see Norm and the Sturgeon? Yes. Herman. Herman, Herman the, the Sturgeon. Sturgeon. Herman the Sturgeon. Yes. That's <laughs> We're pretty sure we saw what yeah. we think would be Herman the Sturgeon. <laughs> Herman the Sturgeon, for anybody that knows what an Airstream trailer looks like, <laughs> it's about as long as an Airstream yeah. trailer. Yeah, he's this 80-year-old sturgeon that um, they just have there now. Wow. Yeah. 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 That's um, fun. We always, whenever we travel to the Gorge, um, if we're not incredibly pressed for time, we almost always visit the uh, the fish hatchery. The fish. Uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty fun. cool. Um we we rented a car for this, by the way, I should say. We went out via car. I wasn't going to take my niece out right. to the gorge by bike yet. <laughs> yet. Uh, but we went over the Bridge of the Gods. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you've ever been to this place. I, it was like maybe five, six plus years ago okay. uh, since I went there. Went there, And we went to the Fish Ladder on oh, the Washington yeah. oh. side. Yep, yep. Okay. Like in, as part of the dam? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's really cool because they have, you know, windows. You go mm-hmm. down under oh, that's under neat. the river. Yeah. You can see, yeah, you can see the wow. fish swimming up the ladder. Yeah. And whenever, that was pretty um, exciting. When, when I was a kid growing up, we had relatives in Salem. So whenever we'd make that, like, once or twice a year trip between Eastern Oregon and the Willamette Valley, um, we'd do about 50-50 Washington, Oregon side, but... Whenever we were on the correct side for that, we would almost always stop and go oh, check out the fish ladder. Yeah, that's yeah. a nice way to get like a bunch of tired, like hangry kids out of a car and be like, "Look, fish!" And you're like, "Ooh, okay." <laughs> there is something kind of mesmerizing yeah. though about it. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, we'd easily spend an hour or two there. <laughs> yeah. Fish are fun. Um, yeah. yeah, and similar with the fish hatchery too. If you've been to the gorge but not been to the fish hatchery, it's one heck of a fish hatchery as yeah. far as uh, those those contraptions in Oregon go. Um, what else did we do? Oh, uh, I did not build a bike from scratch this time around. Like I said, I was going to. But you did get a bike. But yes, we nice. did get a bike for her. Uh, and we found a great, uh, Trek, all steel American made. We want to say 94, 96. Okay. Um, mountain frame. Nice. Yeah. Those yeah. are great. Yeah. We're riding it around. We found the, these two holes on the underside that we're not sure what it does. Mm. And now that we have somebody maybe in the know. <laughs> yeah. gonna, Do you ride a truck too? I'm trying to. I used to ride a truck. Okay. I had a truck 420 for a while. I was, yeah, uh, I was trying to remember 27 that. inch. Um, I, I sold it last year. Gotcha. But yep. Uh, that was a USA made truck frame mm-hmm. with truck lugs. They made, man, but those yeah, 90s let's see where truck these holes frames. Are. So that's on the drive side underneath and it's on the chain stay. Hmm. We were thinking, what, kickstand, perhaps? Well, my first, yeah, that was my first instinct, but it's on the wrong side. You oh. don't mount a kickstand on the, on yeah, the maybe, drive side. Yeah, maybe it's, uh, it mounts uh, a cable guide or something like that. Oh, that yeah. Oh, take on and off. okay. Because hmm. that's Like on if the you want to switch from a, a top to a... A bottom? Oh, for the front trailer? Yeah, or derailleur? it could be, could be or cable riding to the rear trailer. Hmm. Hmm. Like it's along the chainstay, yeah. Okay. Okay. That's interesting. That's that's a good one. That's a great question. Well, we'll just post this yeah. and we'll uh Yeah. And that's the thing I love learning about 
uh, weird things like that from before my time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. And I see a lot of that through Bike Farm. You're like, what? <laughs> Find some esoteric. Usually, yeah. in my experience, it's like 80% of the time it's a Sheldon Brown post. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. Sweet. Um, <laughs> this repository of knowledge. Uh, um, so, yeah. Um, we should talk about how how was your week? My week was sore. <laughs> oh, man. My week was very sore. Yeah. Uh, not one day after our podcast recording last week, um, I went out on a whim for a bike ride to do the solstice like ronde or it's like 50 miles um up and down the west hills and i don't know about you folks but sometimes in life it's not like you should always listen to your gut but there's times where you're like huh my gut is trying to tell me something and i just felt like there was this impending sense of like wrongness about me deciding to go do this ride (laughs) oh no (laughs) of course i ignore that feeling all right and um went out on the ride and was i was really glad that i went because uh i was the only person that showed up for it oh really it was just me and the ride leader who were meeting over up in um slab town and then promptly started biking up into the hills and i've been trying to prolong the amount of time possible between replacing my front fender with uh its current state and its new state and it turned out that i waited too long because (laughs) what ended up happening was um my fender got uh, my front fender detached and got sucked into my front wheel well, and I was kind of descending a hill up in northwest. Um, fortunately, we were starting to come to a stop, so I was maybe I don't know going like fifteen or something miles an hour. Um, but my fender got sucked into the into the wheel, and immediately my bike stopped. And immediately after that, I went flying over the bike, oh! and the bike like endoed and um, like really I was really like thanking myself that i don't ride clipless because otherwise the bike would have just gone right on top of me oh yeah um, it could have been it, much worse it could have yeah that was my thought my thought is wow it could have been much worse <laughs> um so like i had my breath knocked out of me for a little bit and my first like thing that i remember is just being like oh this is what not being able to breathe feels like i remember this uh <laughs> so <laughs> you remember this i remember this this is not oh, the first time this yeah. has happened it, yeah. the last time it happened severely was back when i was like a kid um we have a hay bale that i had a tendency of falling off every <laughs> now and then um <laughs> and that's another story but yeah <laughs> i was just like at least i knew it was happening this time so i just yeah. was trying to like force myself to intake on breath uh and it turned out that i had messed up a good bit of my right side and mainly my um hip and wrist right wrist and shoulder so uh fortunately one urgent care visit and some amount of time and expense later they found out that it wasn't a uh break or a fracture or at least they don't think it is so okay other than uh literally walking away from it unscathed uh it's kind of best case scenario because if you would have seen my wrist on saturday morning it was like a watermelon oh, basically oh yeah, yeah. It might have been a hairline fracture well that that's what they said um so they couldn't see it based on the x-ray they told me if the swelling doesn't go down by monday to like go back in for primary care and mm-hmm. get another x-ray I'm fast kinda, forward now it's thursday i know it's it's coming down a little bit like i can move my fingers again oh that's oh i see some scabbage yeah there. there's a bit of scabbage i've like, got like yeah. i don't know got this oh guy. yeah and then i've got like some more like my whole right side i was like yeah. my whole right side i was basically like 
that guy from the mummy movie <laughs> for, <laughs> until a couple just, of days like, ago yeah and yeah. like i've healed enough so that i'm down to like the six or four inch bandages or whatever it is <laughs> but um it's been a sore week i'll put it that way and uh-huh. um uh. it was it was nice in a sense because i have um since i since i'm not in my position at the bike shop at cycle portland anymore um, I've been telling folks that I've been looking for an opportunity to support my local bike shops and <laughs> <laughs> very, very much provided that opportunity. Uh, so thanks to Gladys Bikes for fixing up my ride. Oh, uh, I'll see you Gladys. next week. So <laughs> structurally, though, like, first off, I'm glad you're okay. Me too. Yeah. Me I'm, too. And yes, it could have been much worse. Yeah. When I'm glad you... it's not a like bad fracture, if a yeah. fracture at all. Yeah, I mean, like, time will tell. Um, I'm just kind of thankful for it. Yeah. Like, yeah. What, what can you do, right? Right. What happened, right. happened. Um, and a, as a you PSA. You reverse time. As a PSA, yeah. fenders are 50 bucks. Like, if your fender's starting to wear out, maybe replace it before it gets sucked into your front wheel. <laughs> before. Ins- instead of after. You have to pay the medical <laughs> system. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it was one of those, like, um, hubris slash fun times weeks for me. <laughs> right. But, uh, like like we've said, it's, I'm, I'm glad that not hurt worse yeah. because that was definitely possible it was some of that old like 50s uh concrete that they poured like like the kind of cobblestone but not cobblestone exactly right. the mix in between there yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with the nice like potholes here and there and yeah it was just mm. it was, oh it was like yeah because yeah, like, you're doing you the round route exactly like, there's it, it there didn't. was a few points where like i thought i was gonna bail and that was in daylight when i did it yeah we it was like it was probably ten fifteen at night or something oh, like that. Wow. Yeah, That's and like yeah. I would have made it down. It was it was at first because I was just like, "What pothole? What the hell?" Like <laughs> there was oh, no yeah. pothole there. I was like, "Oh, it was my fender." <laughs> oh, so um, <laughs> I don't know. I'm feeling a bit sheepish. I'm also glad yeah. that I'm okay. Yeah, and yeah. mainly I am hoping that I continue to be okay and that there's no like stuff down the road that has yet to be discovered. Yeah. So yeah, um, yeah. What what can you do? Uh, I know on this show we've had the helmet debate time and time again. Yeah. I feel like I've just kind of proved my point that's like I don't care what other people do, but like I know I crash. <laughs> so, yeah, right. I know I crash. Yeah. Like it's a it's a inevitability. So <laughs> I've actually been having the helmet debate. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. These past few days, okay. Because uh, I have a helmet and I generally wear it, especially when weather gets sour like this. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but my helmet. Mm, last month i think broke oh yeah actually oh, well. broke the the plastic molding that oh, wow. holds the straps yeah, onto yeah. the onto the helmet so it there was like no salvaging it mm-hmm. so i've been writing helmet lists and not really thinking much about it gotcha um well it works till it but, doesn't yeah right. yeah but also in the meantime <laughs> realizing i've also got to set an example to somebody uh, yes yeah. to your proxies yes right. yes and it's true so now now we have the when is uncle aaron going to get the helmet yeah uh, talk well, if you want to go get a the helmet together, is... I need another helmet. So, <laughs> all right, let, let's go tomorrow. <laughs> Let me know. <laughs> yeah, it was it was an interesting week. Mm. Most of it was spent in bed trying oh, to man. sleep and heal as much as yeah. I could. Um, so, they give you anything for it, or you uh, just kind of no, like? So that was the really weird thing. Is um, I don't know. I may, maybe it's just not painful, like swollen, but not painful, uh, and like I can feel my. My, my body's just like cracking and popping all over the place uh-huh. right now. Um, but the pain scale there, like on a scale of one to 10, I was like, eh, like 
one, two, I don't know. Yeah. Like it didn't hurt a lot, but I knew that it like looked bad. And I think mainly I had just decided that like whatever amount of pain was happening was like had to be bearable because that was the amount uh, that I was in. Yeah. Um, and there's been like, I have gotten a paper cut that's hurt worse than this. Like, pa- <laughs> like other than the yeah. soreness. Right. <laughs> it's just super that's weird. A, that's a great Guthrie quote right there. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Yeah. Let's get a, let's get a picture of your x-ray and then <laughs> I've had paper cuts that hurt worse than <laughs> I mean, it felt kind of like, like cheating or something. And I was just like, oh, maybe I'm like still in the shock the day after. Cause right? like, I don't, I don't feel, I don't feel that much. Um, so like soreness, hundred percent, but like pain, not, not so much. Okay. And that actually I was really happy about because yeah. I was like, oh, if I cracked a rib or if it was a break or something like I should be in a lot more pain than I'm in right now. And the fact that I'm not probably means something good rather than something bad. Right. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah. Thanks to Pete, who rode me from the West Hills down to Pals so I could check in with Jane and be like, by the way, your boyfriend was in a bike crash. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah, it was, it was a fun week. I'm looking forward to not doing this next week. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we didn't come here to listen to me talk about getting thrown off my bike and having fun times in the medical system. <laughs> <laughs> not necessarily. <laughs> we came here <laughs> to talk to Dennis about... Right. Um, his experience as an engineer and bike standards and all sorts of stuff. So, right. um, gosh, where where do we jump in? Uh, we could talk a little bit about, yeah, not not many people know um, my my work in the bike industry as yeah. an engineer. Yeah, because um, I guess I don't talk about talk about it unless people uh, ask me or what I've what I've done in the past. But um, I've been out of it for a little bit, but uh, I'd say. You know, it started early on in college. I kind of had made a decision that um, I wanted to work in the bike industry while I was going to school um, for my mechanical engineering degree, and that was the only industry I wanted to pursue. And all others were not of interest to me. <laughs> so mm. I sort of I spent uh, my time in in college. Uh, um, working on projects, specifically tailoring projects uh, in my engineering studies to kind of complement a bike-related uh, project. Um, so a lot of those were uh, um, in my kind of undergrad and and also senior-level classes. Um, and I began to uh, use some of my um, design engineering classes to um, work on 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 bicycle related projects one was uh i think i i had modeled a, a just a lugged bike fork and one of the classes was this is a stress analysis class on just any any part so i had pre-designed or modeled this this fork and so i used that to sort of lead this project to uh test this this lugged fork um that i modeled in solidworks to analyze the the, the life cycle of the fork. So I did static and dynamic analysis in SOLIDWORKS and also fatigue analysis, uh, basically uh, this, this cycles till failure on the, the fork. And mm-hmm. that was one example of using a bike-related uh, model that I had uh, already done just at home for fun. So then there's many others uh, uh, that I'd done uh, in college and used my senior design capstone project uh, uh, to... To manage a, a group of, of of engineering students to uh, build a 
a human powered vehicle <laughs> that was a that was a fun project and um i, I kind of knew going into it that I would, i'd probably be the best person to lead that project and that was an interesting one uh that was a fun one and that was a, a project i was looking forward to in college uh because uh, uh, it was very hands-on and i was able <laughs> to use a lot of my fabrication skills um that i had uh, previous experience with uh, to to help uh build this this recumbent it really was a recumbent yeah okay and uh that that was a, a great project that was a, a belt driven recumbent at the oh, time nice. it was 2013 14 so this is before i was on a mission to, to make the first belt driven recumbent I was say this is before and, the belt drive yeah. craze sort of mm-hmm. sort of hit I yeah say craze, was that right about when trend. the gates carbon came out exactly so yeah and i could a little bit back from that i i one of my first jobs was a um, bike mechanic uh kind of out of high school um and i guess that's really where my interest in bikes began uh um and uh i could go a little further back actually yeah. and uh, i would say that uh i used to um and i still do uh unicycle and <laughs> nice. i i uh in high school um kind of the tail end i actually during high school i used to just unicycle around my dad had an old schwinn unicycle and i just would ride it around for fun and, and uh i i began running cross country in high school and uh and i began riding the unicycle kind of on some dirt trails so it was sort of a cross training yeah, uh, yeah. for me for cross country and so I, I got dived into the the extreme or mountain unicycling community early on and um, was really involved with mountain unicycling even before I even started working at a bike shop. So it all started, I guess, with one wheel a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in, in high school, there was a class called East Environmental and Spatial Technology where uh, it was a, a unique class where uh, um, there was a, an array of software for for the students to, to use. And at their own, their own free will, you can either use the software or you didn't have to so mm-hmm. that's where i began 3d modeling with i think solid edge and i did some animation things in, in that class but i began uh using a lot of software in that class and began really expanding my skills in 3d modeling uh alongside my my advanced art classes and so uh early on i i had developed um skills then and uh after that yeah working at the shop uh, for, for, for a few years, um, I, I kind of kept working at a bike shop in a college. It was just a, a job, um, to pay rent and I continued to do so. And, uh, and, and like I said, in college, I, I sort of tailored some of these classes to, uh, sort of complement uh, mm-hmm. my interest in bike parts and, um, yeah. and whatnot. So, uh, and those skills eventually led you to a spot with Lazine, right? Yeah. So, uh, I, I didn't really know how to. Uh, Wait, it's pronounced lasagne. Lasagne, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's a, I learned that from Dennis. <laughs> got it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it could be pronounced. Yeah, it's easy to pronounce it uh, all different kinds of ways. Yeah. Um, lasagne, yeah. And I, I didn't uh, really know many folks in the bike industry at that time, and I, I, I needed to begin networking some way. It was a. Uh, kind of a difficult task but i i i uh just 
I didn't know who to talk to and what to do at that time, but I, I figured out, well, maybe the best thing to do is, is make a website. So make some business cards um, and then go on a bike tour and uh, on, the, on the West Coast. Because at that time, I specifically wanted to work on the West Coast, although mm-hmm. I knew there was other options in the States I could uh, I could I could work at, but I sort of what pin, was the pinpointed. what was it about the West Coast that that yeah well the Pacific Northwest you. really uh, has always been a place has have been connected with even yeah. in high school so uh, I I really wanted to uh, live here uh-huh. really early on so I I I uh, I knew I wanted to stay on this side of the, of the states, right on. And and so the Pacific Northwest was an area I, I focused more more on. But I, I, I really at that point it was I wanted to uh, find a a job, get my foot in the door in the industry. Maybe if it wasn't the location, that's fine. But it was more about the job than the location. Oh, yeah. And then uh, that has has changed, and I flipped that role, and it was more about the location than the job. Um, but yeah, I went on the bike tour and networked with a lot of folks. Uh, interesting way of networking. I went on the bike tour in the winter. <laughs> and, uh, com- complications of trying to get a custom frame completed uh, for the tour um, basically delayed it. So okay. I ended up. So your original up. intent wasn't to tour in, in the, the winter. winter. Yeah, not no. at all. Okay. <laughs> not at all. Uh, but you know, I figured you know, this is I got to do it. I can't. I don't want to wait mm-hmm. another few months. And was it just border to border, or did you do like Canada all the way down through Mexico? Or? No, I just did no. border to border. Yeah, okay. I just I just flew up to Vancouver and 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 rode to the the border of Mexico. Uh, I I, wa- I was thinking of continuing to ride, continue to ride in North America on the Northern Tier mm-hmm. route, but uh, I I think I was a little bit burnt out doing a mm-hmm. solo tour in the winter. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, uh, uh, I'll say it. You develop a great relationship with Mother Nature. <laughs> <laughs> you really do. Yeah, it was a great experience, and that's I I I decided I'll, I'm going to do this in the winter because, and I will I will you know develop a thicker skin i will become a better person so it was weird i made that decision um because i knew it would make me a better person um yeah and uh, i i use warmshowers.org uh for some of the major cities where i needed to meet with folks Mm -hmm. in the industry uh and uh one of them was portland and that's where i connected with guthrie uh through through that um that platform and I stayed with Guthrie for a couple of days and a couple other folks here as I uh, tried, actually tried to, yeah, I met with a f- few folks here um, in the bike industry and uh, continued my way south and finished the tour and actually didn't have anything lined up and s- ended up going back to my parents' ranch in California for a couple months and begin poking a little bit and, and then I ended up only 75 or 70, 75 miles north of my parents place at uh, in San Luis Obispo mm-hmm. at Lazine. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where I was my first first job I guess in the bike industry as a engineer. Nice. What did you work on there? Yep, so I started there uh as an entry level engineer I just um I did a lot of electrical testing on lights. Uh, it takes a while to. Uh, That's kind of what 
I know Lezine for yeah. lights and pumps. They're great. Yeah, yeah. lights and pumps. Really, yeah. those are the the two products. They're they 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 make. Uh, yeah, they, they they do well very well on. And I was a big fan of Lezine at the time. Mm. I had a Lezine pump. Huge fan of it. Uh, huge fan of of the design. Uh, the ability to replace the o-rings and, and overhaul the 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 pump um yeah i was a huge fan of their pumps and and their lights they really changed the bike light industry i would say in producing a light that met a, a great price point yeah. for with respect to lumen so price price per lumen was 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 incredible uh they really kind of reshaped i think the bike light industry a bit huh. so yeah it is true lights and pumps are i think what they're they're very well known for and so I, I began just doing some testing for them with the lights, electrical testing, and uh, it was really it was really nice there. I I think if I was at another place, it would have taken a bit longer to begin to work solo um, to some degree on a sort of creating a, a product. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, and that's kind of the uniqueness of of design is they. There is a small group in the U.S., uh, maybe 25 folks in the U.S., two mechanical engineers. I was I was one of the two, and electrical engineer, and a couple software engineers as we began coming out, coming out with the uh, cycling computers. Uh, it was a really tight-knit uh, R&D um, uh, group, and then we had a larger group in Taiwan, and those those the the, the Employees in Ta- employees in Taiwan, we would talk with every day. Yeah, and and I I, I think that's that was important important to talk with them every day because uh, that's where everything was being manufactured. Right. And did you ever get out there to like see the the factory floor? And- I re- I really I really wanted to. Um, I ended up uh, leaving that job. I, I I quit the job to to move to Portland. Um, oh, okay. Really to move up north. I. I began. I I knew that this was where I wanted to be, so I didn't want to waste too much time in a place I didn't want to live. So I I made that decision almost at the same time. They asked me to to go to Taiwan, and I I didn't want to waste the yeah, other time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I already had made my decision, but it would have been a great experience. And I I do. I wish I I had gone over there and seen. Uh, some some of the manufacturing processes in Taiwan. It's incredible what they do there, and um, yeah, it's it's incredible. There are, are are manufacturers there that are very good at what they do, and uh, mm-hmm. and so. And Taiwan's kind of like the the center or the epicenter for bike manufacturing. It as really far is. As, yeah. Like I guess I'm overseas, but non-U.S. destinations go. Yeah, it really is. It is. I'll, you know. The majority of bike product is manufactured in Taiwan, uh, in various places in, in Taiwan. So, mm-hmm. um, and they have been doing that for years, decades. Uh, so they have uh, the tooling and the expertise uh, um, already in place. So um, it's a it's a place where folks go to to make product. Uh, that's one of the one of the reasons is their expertise and the the their the 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 tooling that they have there but also of course it's the the you know the rate with which people are paid is less so it's it's the unfortunate thing is that yeah it's yeah. uh 
the uh, you can pay people less to make and assemble uh, product there, and that's that's always been a, a I don't know a, a discussion there. Sure, sure. Uh, it's always going to be a place of tension, right? Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. it's why can't we bring product and, and make product in the states? And I I ask the same question, and I I, w- I want the I want that too. Yeah. Um, um, but but there's there's uh the competition is there and both i think of those uh those subjects are yeah pay mm-hmm. rate and um and the, really the skill yeah the, they have mm-hmm. skill and tool and tooling there they have the the industry built around it yeah so yeah. one of the things um that i've always been kind of curious about is um like i've got my own impression of why when when you have a product and it might fall uh, short in like one or two ways from maybe what I call is like the ideal product. Like there, there's no perfect thing. Um, and you know, there's any number of sites telling you like, well, this is the best, this, and this is the best that, but, uh, thinking on some of my favorite things that I use, you know, that, that feeling of like, oh, this is really great. Except for that, like one thing about it. Um, could you speak a little bit about, or maybe to the difficulty of just really, uh, getting it right or, or, or just really nailing it on a design, aspect um because one of the things that um i think can affect that is sort of like the uh patenting and different ways by which a problem can be solved when you're talking about like the intellectual property and that kind of jazz mm-hmm. um it feels to me like some of that plays pretty heavily in uh for example like just to throw one out there the ortlieb like ql attachment system oh yes you know it's like well why don't we just all use that well patents uh, <laughs> right uh and, and that that's kind of my my take on it to a degree but i'm just curious if um you had any experience where maybe you wanted to try something out but sort of ran into that kind of murkiness or or oh, yeah. muddy water so to oh, speak yeah a lot of that yeah I, I hit a lot of those walls um patents too yeah there, there's that is always a a hurdle um there's a lot of work that goes into g- getting one um if you're creating a a, a new product that's yeah, never been done before, and um, but also just trying to make pr- produce a, um, a birth a product that is going to meet the margin that hmm. that 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 the company wants. Um, now that may vary from company to company, but that was something that was also unique in my job was when I began to be more involved with the company and uh, take on projects began to th- th- um, really sketch and 3D model and, and, and birth the product is what I call it. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, you know, you, that product will not uh, go through. It will not, it will not continue if it does not meet the the margin that the, or the goal, um, the price point. So you right. really set right. that price point in advance. And typically that's a price point that's uh, no. some, the same or lower than your competitor. So it's it's a it's a competition thing, and yeah. and that's an unfortunate thing. Um, it was a bit frustrating, but uh, so uh, when when I began working on a project, uh, cost analysis was a huge factor in that. It it it, it, it would make or break the con- continuation of that yeah. of that part. At <laughs> what point in the process does cost analysis happen? Is it like almost right after like conceiving the? No. The uh, product, or it's like uh, it just follows along with it. It's hand yeah. in hand. Um, uh, it's it's uh, it's everything. How it's assembled 
assembly time uh, is critical. That the, the seconds yeah. uh, add up to uh, a, a, a lot of money. Uh, so it needs to be assembled quickly, uh, and the material uh, needs to be um, uh, af- affordable or a low cost, and that depends on what vendor you choose. So you will spend a lot of time with uh, communicating with folks in Taiwan and choosing the the vendor that is not only the least expensive, but is well. That's one of it, but it, it it's uh, that that has, has some has experience, a good track record. Has a good track record, and that's hard because yeah, there's been times where. Uh, you risk it because there isn't a good track record. And mm-hmm. so then you end up with issues later on. Um, I could talk about that later, but yeah, it's, uh, so yeah, the materials selection, assembly time, uh, uh, the, the, the electronics that you mm-hmm. source to, um, you know, that's a kind of a, a, uh, partnership or, or it's a uh, it's something you work on with the electrical engineer but you're sourcing the cheapest led that um produces the highest lumen value um and that changes every year that's a really interesting one that's oh, yeah. why design lights have really the prices have the retail price have gone down or say the same but the lumens have just gone up right it's in, it's incredible. Is it a bit it, of, do you think it's like Moore's law sort of playing out effect? Uh, it could be, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Moore's law being um, <laughs> generally speaking, the speeder efficiency will double every I think two years. Oh, yeah, it's about that. Yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's almost a double. I'd say uh, uh, every year it would be the LED, the same model would increase. Yeah, in in lumens by almost double the amount. Wow. Yeah, at the time that was a few years ago. So yeah, there's there's hurdles. So I, I would want to maybe design something that uh, you know had had a, had, a, had had a great aesthetic appeal to it. <laughs> yeah, and, and that, that, that's always the battle is making something that looks great but also can be assembled quickly uh, and uh, has a, a low cost. Um, um, parts um you know the the volume of of the material use is, is limited is low uh yeah there's a lot of factors that go into that and that there were some frustrations there i mean you can't just draw something out and <laughs> make it happen right uh, and that's where that industrial design engineering relationship happens where you you're working with uh uh someone who's designing the appearance of the product and the engineer is, you know, setting some rules on what limitations on what you can, uh, how, how you can make that product look like that, but, but still meet the margin. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a, a process that is a struggle early on. That's, but. Yeah. It's so interesting because I, I think of frame building mm-hmm. or, or f- yeah, yeah. Frame builders as like you, you're just welding some pieces together and, you know, I don't, think so much on the level of like components Mm. having to follow so much stricter it sounds like anyways to me stricter standards Mm. than like just putting a frame together yeah yeah well well there's um yeah i guess 
there aren't many standards to follow. Well, I, or I, just a stricter process, maybe. Is yeah, the better, de- definitely better process way. is yeah. way more strict. There's a lot more loopholes, uh, for sure, because you're dealing with you know coal molds and you know molding a, a piece of rubber around a piece of plastic, and you want to make sure that that is going to withstand so many cycles in the sun. So mm-hmm. you, know, you you UV test you know that part and make sure that it's not going to peel back. So there, there there's a lot yeah of testing that occurs. Um, before the product is released, so yeah, I think even the the testing time is increased too mm-hmm. uh, um, for for products like that, and, and with respect to just just frames. You, know. <laughs> you mentioned um, doing some CAD work recently uh, and three D printing briefly in in my um, analysis. Like you can go for smaller runs and 3d printing might be a good option for that. Like, let's say instead of making a hundred thousand lights, you just want to make a hundred. So obviously you're going to charge more for those hundred. Um, where do you see that going? Or is that something that you're excited about coming up for some of the projects that you're working on right now? Yeah. 3d printing is incredible. 3d printing metal is really becoming a, a great, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, method of manufacturing a hard to machine product uh, part. Yeah, typically you 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 three D printing has existed to more or less three um, D print plastic to 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 hold the part in your hand <laughs> to get it off the computer screen and be able to you know feel the size and somewhat of a fitment too. You can yep. you can use it as a method of fitment for three D printing polymers. What's fitment? Oh, like fitment, like for an example, like uh, how how the light sits on like the seat post of the bike. Okay. So you can use a a strap and wrap around the three D printed plastic light um, and see how it looks on 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 the bike. Is it looking good? Is it too big? You know, right? It's something like you you can put that you can you can you can model all you want on the computer, but you're gonna have a tough time seeing. how it looks um, and, and and depicting the scale, um, mm. unless you you print it out. So that, I did that a little bit with the, uh, a light that I I helped produce at Lazine, and uh, I three D printed a, a handful of versions as I continued to work on the light and uh, mounted it on the bike and yeah changed a few things here and there. Mm. You know, add a little curve here, there, a little curve right. there. So 3D printing plastic was key for that. But when, when you dive into parts that are just hard to machine with a, even a CNC machine, uh, even a five-axis CNC machine where you you can't get the tool underside the part, it's hard to you know hold the part, fixture the part in place, and make the kind of unique shape that it is. Uh, 3D printing uh, metal is, is becoming more popular because of that. So when you have uh, strange-shaped, uh, parts it can it can really help and 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 3d printing is is uh, in, in itself is a, a great tool to sh- to share uh to to share the the part with others that aren't mm. near you like you mm-hmm. can almost 3d fax like 3d print right if like they if have a 3d, 3D printer, printer, printer you can send the data over yeah, yeah. yeah you can yeah. send yeah. a file over and then they they can they can 3d print and look at it so that's kind of a a great kind of fun mm-hmm. thing to think about with 3d printing so it's a nice yeah. uh design and iteration tool 
mm-hmm. if not quite mass production yet. Yeah, design and iteration. That's that's really what it is, and and not quite mass production. But you know, it, it you're right. It is uh, it is getting getting there. You know, there are 3D printed homes. You know, there oh, are yeah. like there are these big 3D printers that are 3D printing small small houses. Holy cow! But maybe that will uh, <laughs> you know they, they 3D print really the the walls of the the house. Um, you set the machine kind of in the middle, and then it begins to. 3D print the house. Well, I guess you got to get the machine out of there. <laughs> I haven't thought about it. I've seen these videos, yeah, of, the, of these buildings being built. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it, it would be it would be uh, more used for high quantity. Mm-hmm. Um, I think over time, uh, as it becomes more affordable, mm-hmm. it's kind of more of a cost thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, there, there's there's a high price in 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 tool and tooling and tooling wear with. CNC machining or you know, machining parts, so there the, and that that's a fee that is added typically when you're getting want to get a quote for a, uh, a first article or a, uh, yeah a, a, a you know a, a first batch of of what you're what you design you know it's it's it, you have to take into account toolware so you're you're really paying for the yeah. toolware there and maybe I don't know much about 3D printing uh, 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 with with uh, metals as much um, in terms of the the parts used on the three D printer, the types of three D printers, but there's probably some wear, but maybe not as much as, <laughs> as, as the tooling for machining. Yeah, that's totally. a good question that I'm probably gonna look up later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got a friend who's into three um, D printing, and you know, you, there's these kits you can get get for home use and stuff. Um, and he uh, was just talking about some of the metal ones. So just on a lark, I went and like looked yeah. up a price. And you know you're in trouble when they won't just show you the price on the site. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they're no, like, not at all. They don't. Yeah, yeah. They're yeah, like, yeah. call so-and-so. Yeah. Um, so I found this old like PDF from one from a couple of years ago, and I was like, mm-hmm. oh, cool. Five million bucks, starting price. <laughs> <Jeez>. well, <laughs> maybe we're not there yet. Not there yet. <laughs> or I'm not there yet. That's for wow. damn sure. Um, yeah. Yeah, it seems, seems like a cool piece. Um, we had also talked a little bit about standards. And if I'm recalling, you had been wanting to work on some bottom bracket type standards or stuff Ooh. or am i am i and misremembering many, on that one how many bottom bracket standards do we have currently oh there's a lot there's yeah. so many um give us your run give us yeah. your, your theory on standards well that's a yeah that's a standards have changed quite a bit with bottom brackets and yeah it's evolved over and time. why are there so many <laughs> yeah that's a good question uh, i mean yeah it's a it's a, it's it's the evolution of of the bike world it's kind of somewhat natural but you know it's also other companies wanting to create their own standard mm. too it has a little effect on it um but yeah you kind of start out with the you know the english uh threaded bottom bracket both 68 and 73 uh with shells um that use a square taper or isis spline and and then you kind of evolve from there, and uh, where uh, press fit began to come into the industry uh, with um, well the BB thirty. Um, that's the BB thirties. Uh, I remember that. That's the most recent. Well, the the or it's, uh, it's still it's still somewhat used. BB thirty mm-hmm. is uh, the thirty stands for the thirty millimeter spindle on the cranks that you use, uh, and um, it it actually is. A press, it press fits um, into a shell that's not it's same, almost similar size I think as the English um, okay. threaded bottom bracket uh, 
but the PF30 is a larger diameter bottom bracket shell. That's that's still uh, press fit, but you press fit a, a plastic cup into the bottom bracket, and the shell size is larger in diameter. Still 68, 73 millimeter shell width, but um, so B BB30 was a press fit of just the bearings into the frame with like a C-clip that prevent the bearing from continuing to be pressed in. Uh, so you need a really specific bottom bracket shell. It, it's still, you know, used, I think. Yeah. Um, and then press fit 30 began to uh, come in, and that was just a larger diameter shell. You could use larger diameter bearings, and um, it made the, the, the bottom bracket stiffer. And right. that's really where, you know, it's really, it was, stiffness is really one of the reasons why bottom bracket shell standards have changed over the years um and also manufacturing like i think you know press fit bottom brackets were easy to manufacture and so uh big big brand companies chose that i think because they you know the, the the threading process of threading in a, a shell was a little bit more and yeah. so that yeah. i think that is a factor there and why prefits press fits came about hmm. but there are, are as you've heard there's issues with those and the the creaking issues that occur um because you really need tight tolerances uh uh, uh between the the plastic shell or, or bearing and the, and the the bottom bracket shell those need to be really tight but uh, a lot of times they're, they're they're not um and you begin to have creaking issues that you've you've heard with with those you're supposed to press those in with a, a loctite sort of compound uh -huh. um, but still, there the you know you know moisture and stuff will sure. change sure. that over time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, then and then shell widths have changed as as tire widths have increased, uh, and it's tire in, tire tire widths have changed that. Um, you know, fat bike industry. I was going to say, about. like, how how yeah. has fat bike really changed all yeah, that? Yeah, definitely. Uh, fat bike uh, industry has come, and then shells became uh, increased in width. Um, and there are, you know, the, the, the boost system has come about, uh, and so you, you, which was a three millimeter extra width, uh, um, uh, really, really, uh, it's three millimeters in length of the, of the crank, of the crank, uh, spindle length, um, so that you didn't have any conflict with this three inch wide plus tire. Mm -hmm. That's kind of huh. how boost yeah, came yeah. about. <laughs> okay. But yeah, you have you have a lot of press fits. There's a lot that have come about. Trek has developed one, and Specialized had some involvement yeah. in one, and also Cannondale with BB30. Uh, and then you know you were kind of at the point where yeah you, you end up still there's still press fits out there, but there's a new standard called T47 that exists, and that was created by a group of people. Is that the Chris, folks out in Bend? That's a, that would be like you know uh, Chris King, Argonaut, and even White Industries and Paragon Machine Works. Had Maybe some that's involvement. what I'm thinking about is like the most recent development. Yeah, and that's what that is is just it's just a threaded version of a press fit thirty. It's a f huh. uh, it's a forty six millimeter inside diameter shell, but you it, it's it's uh, it's a, a forty seven millimeter outside diameter thread pitch. So it's a forty seven millimeter outside diameter thread pitch by one millimeter is is actually the yeah. thread pitch one millimeter so you can actually the whole point was you can thread in 
the uh, 47 by 1 threads into a, a press fit shell. Oh. That was sort of a, is a quick fix, uh, a, a workaround with the, the creaking problem. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And that, that's why kind of that developed. Um, some would say the one millimeter thread pitch is too fine, but if it was bigger, then you'd have issues with the shell thickness. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that's currently, I feel like that's the best one right sort of now. Bees but knees. it just keeps evolving, and that's yeah. the thing. Like well, people think, well, 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 we'll just steady off, and we just have this one bottom bracket standard. No, it, every, no. it will continue to change, yeah. and uh, so just through the evolution of bike. What's the mindset we need to navigate the sanity that is? <laughs> Jeez, it's, I don't know. Increasing <laughs> n plus one standards. Oh, I know. It's I don't know because I'm thinking uh, like back in the day, like. Sean Granton of the three speed club might uh, identify with this simple sentiment of like yeah. bike, bikes, you know, up until the fifties or sixties mm-hmm. didn't used to be that complicated. No. So yeah. there's sort of an explosion of tech, which is, you know, depending on uh, what your situation is and what problem you're trying to solve and mm-hmm. which end of that stick you're on, like can be really great. Sometimes it can also be very frustrating. Yeah. It's a very frustrating. Uh, it's extremely frustrating how rapid, uh, standards have changed um and it's uh yeah a combination of just natural progression and also some would say uh, competitive um yeah. you know some companies um be specifically some big brand companies want to come out with some priport pri- 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 sorry you're good Proprietary. Proprietary. Uh, Man, you're not even that standards. far into your beer. I know. I know. <laughs> Speaking of Proprietary. Which, it's a uh, tough one. Tongue twister on that one. <laughs> thanks to our uh, beverage sponsors for tonight. Oh, thank you. Yeah. yeah. The what, Beer Mongers on Southeast Division and 12. What are you having over thank there? Thank you, Beer Mongers. Uh, today we went with GTs. I've got a uh, Gingerade. I've got a Synergy. I have a Lagunitas Imperial Stout. Yes. Wow. Booyah. Nice. From Petaluma, California. That's a that's a similar location where um, White Industries is located. Oh yeah, yeah. And there's, there's a couple of companies. Down they there. make a great rear hub. Yeah, I must say. Great stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. So, the the big companies want a a piece of that apple, yeah. so to speak. Yeah, and so sometimes they'll they'll create some proprietary standard, and that's yeah that that's. That's that can that can backfire. I was going to say yeah. backfires like how, from the community. You know, the people. You know, you end up losing a bit. Um, yeah, it's it doesn't work out. You got. I'd say there needs to be some more. Uh, uh, people need to work more together. Yeah. Uh, in the in the industry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, kind of like going back to the maybe a a, a less uh, specific. Uh, standard going back to the the Ortlieb QL mm-hmm. series, you know they had the QL three at one point, and I don't mm-hmm. know if they they stopped using it or yeah, it's like one or whatever two point two two point one and then yeah, three or the something three like that. Was the one where <laughs> it was just those little knobs that you oh yeah you would affix either to an existing rack mm-hmm. or you could get the Ortlieb yeah uh, licensed rack, you know mm-hmm. or. Okay. Or various companies licensed for Mortleave, and then it had the knobs on there, and it would affix mm-hmm. on okay. there. But then, you know, that's an example of like they've they've come up with this new standard, and maybe trying to get others, or maybe just 
again making a proprietary standard <laughs> so that nobody else can can do this yeah and, it's it's like the hand holding like can't we just be friends part of yeah. me is well, like shoot if i sat on one or two of these patents like obviously other people would probably use them for their own individual ends but i feel like i would just want to open source it and be like can we please like if we if we all agree like we're talking about the community like if the community agrees that generally speaking this is a pretty sound way to go about solving this problem uh that that one could rally around um it because and I, i don't know if i have any examples off the top of my head but what it sounds like is that some of the titans of industry um might at times choose to throw their weight around if Mm -hmm. not only just to see what it does yeah Um, and so that is not necessarily good for people who bike it might be good for profit or for the bottom line (laughs) or for locking people into proprietary systems yep um Mm -hmm. but i feel like yeah any any standard that's generally like yeah go for it like use this and if you don't like it you know let let it stand on merits sake rather than like some company uh <laughs> yeah. just like shoveling it down your throat because yeah. it's the hot thing for four or five years right uh we're obviously never gonna have that happen but like that's what i aspire to yeah it will always continue to change sorry for the bad news it's all good <laughs> <laughs> it's just the truth uh, i just i yeah. come into the studio to be a dreamer for two hours yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah. yeah racks are really interesting yeah um and and panniers that's mm-hmm. something I really always think about a lot. And, uh, yeah, rack tube diameter. Uh, it was something that I never really thought of until Ortlieb came out with that QL3. So describe series. that to me real quick. Cause I, so, um, hold on, let me gra- grab one of my, that. yeah, let me grab one of my okay. paneers. Yeah. Because I'm a visual person. All right. Chose it. Chose a great field yeah. to be in, right? As a visual person. Oh, yeah. Definitely. I'm very <laughs> you, visual, you've too. You've got a great um, eye for radio. Some people don't get That's probably Wait, why. what? Yes. The the solve for the QL3, why it's not a hook yeah. instead. So this is the okay. standard Ortlieb. Yeah. The right. QL2, I think so. maybe. Okay. Yeah. Um, or QL1. You know, it's got one. the hooks on there. Yeah. That, I think that's that QL1. Yeah. Or QL1. Okay. Uh, the three the replaced path. these with sort of a recessed okay. hole. Right. And then you would install or or already have installed these knobs on your rack that you would then affix to, and it would just sort of click in oh, interesting. that way. And it was as opposed to a mechanical um, yeah, uh, which you're apparatus. a fan of or not. This I'm I'm very much a fan of. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's there's a picture Guthrie's pulled it up there, and you can see an attachment oh, yeah. that yeah, you see. can put on your rack and. And my wonderful partner oh, Anna yeah. from the background has has informed me that is to solve the problem of so business people don't get their clothes their oh, yeah. business clothes hooked on mm. the previous QL hooks. Uh-huh. So now it's a recessed oh, hole. Oh, that's strange. Oh, just by carrying the bag. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. that's. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah. I, it's uh, on the I briefcase style bags. Yeah. Is it uh, only no. specifically so you never on the? Have to worry yeah, uh, I didn't worry about <laughs> it in the first place. I mean, just yeah. but, but also flip your thanks, bag around. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you got that shoulder strap or something, but you can flip the the bag around. I, I don't know. Hold, hold up, listeners, have you benefited from the business sporty QL three style attachment system? Now, yeah. now so, to be clear, to be clear, this is know. just my opinion. Oh, of course. And, and you know, I'm just collecting more data points at this point. <laughs> okay, great, wonderful. <laughs> yes, yeah, so let's collect data points. Yeah, can I see your bag real quick? Oh yeah. 
Yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of the Arkell mounting system, and this is like similar to it. Yeah, it's got this spring kind of loaded. And the big, the I have an Arkell system on the, on a Swift Industries bag, and it's a uh, it's pretty great. Um, the Arkell is um, also nice in the sense that it's just incredibly rugged. It's, it's yeah, true. They use the aluminum attachment. Yeah, it's an aluminum uh, tr- slider. It's like a track that's built on there, but it's yeah, it's more bulky. Um, I can see, you know, I just I just got a burrito today with my Swift Industries bag on my hip <laughs> and with the hooks aiming towards my hip, and I didn't have a problem with it. Um, right on. I don't know. I, I sort of flip the top around so it kind of covers the hooks, and it was and, okay. And you're in your business clothes here. I'm in my so. business clothes. <laughs> <laughs> my hoodie. <clears throat> right. Yeah, it's uh, it's I'm going to be sleeping on the couch tonight, I think. (laughs) Just make sure to wear your business clothes. (laughs) Yeah, I'm really, really um, fascinated with, yeah, just, and that's actually an area I really love is is just um, uh, how people carry things on their bike and, and sort of redefining how, how folks carry things on their bike, um, uh, or even even if uh, even if it's uh, specific trips um, to the grocery store, you know, what are the complications that they face? And 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 you know, we've been dealing with this rack and paneer set up for a long time, and it's just it's always been that way. And maybe there's a different way. And so it's uh, I, I think about that, mm-hmm. yeah, a lot. And uh, bike packing has certainly given a lot of food for thought. Yeah, definitely yeah. in um, our regard too. Right, stripping away the 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 rack and and the 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 the, the rattling that can happen um, with with any sort of hook system on a, on a rack. Yeah, and bringing things kind of um, up in in bags and kind of hanging on the bike yeah. um, mm-hmm. because of that extra vibration. Yeah, and and lightening the load. Yeah. And, and in the sense that yeah, and folks end up carrying less stuff too on on those trips. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's really another area that's really interesting and how how new product has come about in that that genre of of the bike world. Mm-hmm. For um, your work at Bike Farm, you were talking about it, it's kind of like the um, like mad scientist laboratory of like yeah. what what fits oh, with yes. what fits with what. Yeah. Uh, what are some of the most common things that you encounter when you're working at the shop in terms of uh, standards or compatibilities? Or is there anything that you just make, makes you shake your head? And uh, yeah. s- similarly, is there anything that you're just like, oh, it's really nice when these come in because it just fits like a glove, like yeah. that kind of stuff? I guess one is seat post diameters. Oof, there's a lot of those. Oh, yes. There's so many of those. It's uh, You thought there was enough uh, bottom a, bracket yeah, standards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, wait till you get the seat posts. Um, yeah. yeah, there's so oh, many. By, by the millimeter, yeah. By the millimeter, they change. Um, that's a common one, is trying to find the right seat post or mm-hmm. developing a shim, finding a shim there that <laughs> oh, will yeah. make it work. Um, that's a common a common one. Um, a lot of seat, seats get stolen, and so they look, the folks come in. To trying to find a replacement uh, for that, but yeah, I, I love Bike Farm. One of the reasons why I like volunteering at Bike Farm is because I experience a lot of standards that existed before I was born, and I, I continue to gain knowledge about early standards and yeah, um, compatibility from yep. long before my time. Hmm. Uh, and because I, I, I'm a, I'm, I'm a, I always love learning and. Bike farm seems to always uh, provide a learning experience for me. <laughs> yeah. So I 
Well, what's the uh, the old saying? Innovation <laughs> imitates uh, gestation. You know, <laughs> right. you gotta you gotta see what has come from the past before mm. you mm-hmm. start like innovating on something new. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, yeah. It gives the birthing a product uh, yeah. analogy. Yeah. Right. Right. Your yeah. your tie over. Uh huh. Yeah. Let's see. What else is like? Uh, uh, there's a lot of yeah, just a lot of bottom bracket overhauls and. Uh, finding the right spindle length that gives you the right chain line. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's a lot of overhauling that ha- occurs, um, but yeah, there's 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 a lot of incompatibility with yeah bottom brackets and frames, mm-hmm. um, uh, headsets. You know, finding finding a complete headset, crown race and headset. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's yep. a common problem. Um, Typically, if you know you don't have the crown race, then you, and you know you you can't really put you together well that just headset. Toss the headset. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the crown race is really um, it it's important. It needs to match up with that bottom bearing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's a uh, common issue. And, and the crown race is the part that uh, attaches to the top and bottom tubes of the bike. Yeah, the crown race. The crown race is pressed on the the bottom of the steer steer tube of the fork. It it presses over a small lip. It's really small. Um, it's like really small. small. Yeah, mm-hmm. like, it's this like it's this ring that gets pressed over uh, a lip there on, on the on the steer right above the fork crown, and it's what pretty much takes the uh, the front end load of the whole bike, yeah. um, and it 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 it, um, it it contacts the bottom bearing. So the bottom bearing of the headset really gets the majority of the load there, and that's what it where it contacts. Those need to be those need to be compatible. <laughs> yes. Much so. Yep. Um, mis- you'll find out pretty quickly when you're <laughs> yeah. not. Yeah, it's I mistook <laughs> one as a washer and was yeah. about to throw it away. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, yeah, this is this is no good. And yeah. uh, luckily, my housemate at the time, uh, you you may know him, Sean Baird. Uh, oh, I think was, I've heard of him. Yeah, I was working with the bike farm at mm-hmm. that time. I was like, no, no, you need that. You need yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you want to go get another headset. <laughs> right, exactly. right, right. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, from your experience at the bike farm, uh, what do you think that has taught you the most in your time volunteering there? Uh, I'd say uh, I've I've volunteered at bike cooperatives and DIY spaces for quite some time. Uh, been at the bike kitchen in San Luis Obispo for a year, and uh, the Valley Bikery in San San Fernando Valley in LA County for a bit, um, and had some work with the bike kitchen and bike wave down there, and. Uh, I think I just, uh, I, I think that I've been able, uh, I'd say the the best takeaway for me is just being able to converse with all sorts of people. Um, you have all kinds of patrons that come in. Uh, you have folks that, uh, everything from, uh, you know, they, 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 they live on their bike and, and they, they, they just need their bike working to, uh, they're road cyclists and they want to maybe frame prep their road bike frame, you know? So there's a, there's a huge array of customers that come in and, uh, sort of, uh, uh, it's, it's my, uh, developed, uh, just ability to converse with all kinds of folks. Um, and, 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 and make sure they have a great experience there and still uh, learn about their bike. You know, that's something, I'm not going to fix your bike for you. That's that's the, <laughs> one of the format of, yeah. of bike farm. Bike farm is really just about education when it comes down to it. So uh, uh, it's 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 being able to communicate and educate um, an array of folks. 
yeah, that's probably my biggest takeaway other than, yeah, learning all kinds of uh, bike-related standards and stuff nice. like that. Yeah. Well, Dennis, thank you so much for joining yeah. on this, yeah. this eve. No problem. Um, I know you have a website. Would you like to tell people about it? And oh. I also, um, you, you're sort of doing work for for fun or for hire, uh, CAD projects. You were talking about that yeah. a bit before the show. Um, yeah. Did you want to give a pitch? Sure, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm currently uh, doing, uh, not in the bike industry, I you know, I almost actually moved to Minneapolis to work for QBP and work for one of the wow, sub-brands there. Wow, that's a dream job for so many yeah, people, I'm sure. Yeah, I had questioned that for a while. Um, this was a couple of years ago. I thought of making that move and, and working at the industry at that level. Uh, but, you know, Port- Portland began to grow on me, and and now I, I'm not I'm not at that level in the industry at all. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing that kind of work but I, I am doing some some sort of freelance work on the side that are is bike related and i'd like to continue to do so whether it's uh with a, a company or 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 maybe later down the road just just my own thing and uh i'd like to continue to to engineer bike product um it's an industry i want to stay in and in at at some level whatever yeah. that is and Currently, it's a it's it's a small level, but that's making me um, content, and I have a, a lot of gratitude for that. Uh, I have a website that I use really for uh, to pit to pitch me on my bike tour to get yeah. in the bike industry, and a lot of stuff that's on there is just uh, really models that I created from a long time ago, and some of my work at Renovo, um, creating their their dropouts and bottom brackets and um, head tube inserts for for their bikes. Um, that's, uh, ddesignworks.com and, uh, that's, that's my website that I currently have. Um, I'm creating another website too for other projects that I'll have and I'll, uh, I'm not quite ready to, uh, announce that. We'll see if, uh, what I'll be doing, um, at that time, but, uh, I'm currently doing that right now and, um, I, if anyone out there is looking for some, uh, some some help with some 3D modeling or, or CAD work, specifically bike related, uh, then just uh, let me know. You can reach out and uh, contact me, and we can talk. And because uh, yeah, I'd like to continue to to work with folks in the bike industry, and 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 specifically here in Portland, that would be great. It's a great place, a great community here. So yeah, cool. Right on. Uh-huh. Thanks, Dennis. Cool. You're welcome. Thanks. You're very welcome. Yeah. Um, were we going to take a quick? Yeah, we can we can do a break real okay, quick. Okay, sweet. Yeah. yeah, I'll use the restroom real quick. Um, and as we were saying, you're welcome to hang around for news and headlines. Yeah, I will for like. sure. Cool. Yeah. Good deal. I'm going to hit the restroom real quick. I am as well. It's got mainly, like, there's a... It's more, like, on the wrist yeah. right around there. But there's these two huge, like, divots in my wrist. Uh, where it just what? Went, like, uh... I mean, It's mostly healed, but oh, uh, chunks from the oh yeah. So these were like twice as. When you deep. said divots, I was thinking like like the uh, bone was bent or something. Uh, <laughs> like uh, that's yeah. break. No, we're talking you know five iron divots. Yeah. yeah. Oh gotcha. <laughs> yeah, no, it's more just like 
This is so much, it looks so much better than it did on Friday. <laughs> oh, man. It was like, it was deep. And then they take you in and scrub you up really good. And yeah. Like, I took a shower before because I knew like, oh, okay. Jane, Jane actually took um, her rest of the evening off work. Yeah. Oh. And yeah, it was very nice of her. Very nice. Did, did, um, did, you, uh, did you hit your head? I did. Yeah. Yeah. They, she felt like around the back of my neck and stuff. And uh-huh. mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, yeah. if you're concussed, what do you do? You just, like, sleep and hope that you don't, like, not wake you up wake or up something. every hour or every yeah. two hours. Yeah. So we, oh, I don't know, we... That's what I had to do I with that. Yeah, just like, what do you do? I, I guess I could wear, like, a neck brace or something like that. But, yeah. Um, it, it, the, yeah. The whole, the whole, the, the, the helmet topic is, is, a, is a really big one and a great one. Yeah. Because I, 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 you know, I always was, I, I, I have... <laughs> I've got it. Influence people <laughs> to get helmets. Oh yeah. I, I used to run a GoPro in LA and like I'd vi- video like accidents and stuff like that. And I got friends to start wearing a helmet, and mm-hmm. they had accidents, and they their their head got hit, and they, the helmet saved them. Man. And I was wearing a helmet way more often. In mm-hmm. fact, I, I, I most always do. But since I've been moving to Portland, I've gotten to more of a seasonal sort of helmet wearing. Mm-hmm. Like it's so nice when it's warm. It's like, out and yeah. the sun is I, I out messaged my friends from one. California and said, "Uh oh, you know, Dennis is is." Is going is is dealing with like a couple months here where he's he's off and on, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Just just want to let you all know, yeah, because it's not unlike me. But yeah, I've, I've recently dabbled in this summer and last summer in kind of yeah leaving my helmet at work. Um, but you know the thing is, it, freak accidents. Like I, when I used to mountain unicycle, I, you know, I always have a helmet on. But yeah, and I, I never, I never had, I never had bad accidents. Or never. And I always land on my hands. I had wrist cars, and I was all okay. But there was this one day where I was just trying to run out, like a run out. Uh, I, I was trying to run out um, a fall just oh. by running really oh, fast yeah. and trying to get oh. upright. Yep. Yeah, yeah, As yeah. I was trying to run really fast to get back upright, like my head went straight into this boulder oh. like inside this cliff. And I had my helmet on, and I was like, you know what? This is why I wear a helmet. It's because <laughs> right? I, think, I think that I got it handled. Like I think I know I got it fine and – I'll land on my hands and I'm like a cat, but there are these freak accidents that happen yeah. 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 that you cannot control. And one of them is, yeah, that and, or just, uh, you know, a motorist that you can't control. <laughs> Someone on their 50cc motorcycle that <laughs> decides to yeah. blow yeah. through the, blow yeah. through the cork. Yeah, it is. And, you know, for the most part, I am, I am all for safety. I'm all for, but. I'm also all for choice. Like you do, you do you. Yeah. I'm not going to ever say to, to somebody like you must wear your helmet and I will never support any kind of helmet legislation. Um, but I would say as it is, you know, there are those freak accidents and those are the ones that are really the, the least yeah, or the most damaging. And, well, it's, it's just like, you can never say with a hundred percent certainty. No, no, of no, course ba- not. Barely yeah. even 70%. Like, <laughs> I don't know what that number is, but like, yeah, yeah. I, um, I really enjoyed the one summer in college that I didn't ride with a helmet. And I love riding without a helmet. You know, I, I think yeah. it's, I think it's, uh, I don't know. It is. If that's I mean, right it feels word. like if you look you, at uh, like if you. So I watched uh, Breaking Away a couple weeks ago. Oh yeah. And they have like the little helmets for the race, but they're oh, yeah, usually yeah. just those like, like little pads. Yeah. 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 <laughs> usually they're just like riding for for most of that, and like I don't know. Uh, it I had and maybe like this is a a, a fortune in disguise because um, I got done with that summer and like here I am 
leading rock climbing trips and talking about the importance of safety and like uh, then what do i do is i go ride my bike without a helmet <laughs> yeah I know. but the the leader of the outdoor organization i was working with like somebody i respect very much like kind of just gave me that ultimate like scouring uh, oh yeah look of like what the fuck are you doing like <laughs> like like he had lost respect for me for not wearing a helmet mm. and like you know, it, it can be this or that and it could be anything in between. But I think because of that, like I started yeah. wearing it again yeah. and I just made it a habit. And so in no like small way that continued till this Friday sure. when sure. I hit my head on the concrete, you know, it's just like, I, yeah, I, I agree that everybody should have the choice. And, uh, from a perspective of getting people into the sport, like as soon as you make it a requirement, you're going to lower your usage rate. Yeah. And so I think it, there's a lot of problematic things about legislation in it yeah. of the like freedom of sure. choice kind of deal yeah. um but gosh am i really glad for my <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and you know as a matter of practice like if i were doing the solstice ride like every time i've done the solstice ride made sure i had my helmet yeah um anytime i go out of town make sure i had my helmet mm-hmm. um it's it's usually like the the familiar roads that's the you trick, know the but what do they yes. teach you in driver's ed school? What is it? Fifty percent of accidents happen within twenty-five miles of the home. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. and there, I mean, it also has to do with the amount of trips. Don't, you know, yeah, you, it's, one it's makes. kind of one of those like wiggle numbers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but <laughs> it's sure. also like you know, I am familiar, but then there's every every now and then I'm reminded that I'm familiar and I get complacent, and mm. that's that's those. That's another reason yeah. or another thing that, that um, you know. You don't you don't want to be the captain that runs the ship into the sandbar after 40 years of hard work. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but but I knew it was, oh, wait. <laughs> uh, but anyway. Looking at you, Depot Bay. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. Shots fired. Yeah, it's okay. It, even, it happened in like I was going to say, is that even accurate? I don't know. <laughs> it's a, a story in the local paper growing up for a year on the coast. <laughs> that transcends time into my memory for a podcast on june something 27th 28th yeah. well we're gonna have some special calendar music here Alrighty. that's that piano original music by guthrie straw and brock did this for the mix oh yes um Yay. The second Thursday of every month is the Joyful Riders Club in Minneapolis. The second Friday of every month, the Boston Bike Party. Also the second Friday of every month, the Indianapolis Bike Party. Also, also the second Friday of every month, the East Bay Bike Party. And the last Friday of every month, the Baltimore Bike Party. The, oh, excuse me. That's kombucha. <laughs> Just came back up. The first Saturday of every month, the Civil Unrest Ride. Every second Sunday of every month, right here in Portland, the Corvidai Bike Club Ride. Uh, June. What is today's date? Today is the 27th. Today, what's happening? The Sunset Dance Party. And the 30th, the Mobile Bike Decoration Ride. Also the 30th, the Bye Bye Dr. Britt Ride. July 20th, the Gorge Pedal. And upcoming Film by Bike tour dates, Crested Butte, Colorado, June 27th, Dallas, Texas, June 29th, Detroit, Michigan, July 12th, Missoula, Montana, September 15th, Bendigo, Australia, October 4th, and Akron, Ohio. November 3rd. Keep it real, Akron. 
And now for... What can compare with the thrill of a brand new bike? I like my bike, it's fast. I like my bike, it's fast. I like my bike, it's fast. It circles around the city lights. This in from Bike Portland, the Idaho stop is a green light. Well, mostly a green light. The uh, Oregon House of Representatives passed Senate Bill 998 today with a vote of 31 to 28. From here, the bill will go to Governor Kate Brown's desk for signing. Yay! And uh, that what will... Is, what is the Idaho stop law? The Idaho stop is like a California stop, but for bikes. <laughs> it is, it is I'm a fan. the joy of all yeah. bicyclists. <laughs> I, I had a coworker um, who, who very much is one who follows the traffic rules, and he was very much uh, lamenting the fact that he has 27 stop signs between his home oh, and his wow. place of work. Counting them. Yeah. One one. Well, he counts them because he stops for right. every one. <laughs> Do, uh, does he stop for the five seconds? The DMV, you know, five second rule. Does he? Stop? Oh, I didn't oh, know about snap. that. Well, I've, I didn't pass I've got to tell yeah. him about that and add you yeah, know, two minutes to his commute. Five seconds, I think. Yeah. <laughs> uh, check left, check right. Uh, yeah, so this is as far, this is a bill that's kind of like a uh, what's that word for something that comes back from the dead every couple of years? It's been tried before. In fact, it's been tried for about the last decade and a half, as far as I'm aware of. Oh, yeah. Uh, but a long time coming. It has more momentum this time around in session. And um, Hey, it's good to know our $15 per bike sale is going to something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he said sarcastically. <laughs> Twist that knife. <laughs> it's okay. I only, I only ride 21-inch wheels. <laughs> That's yes. only in Oregon, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yep. Right. Oregon's only sales tax right, right, right. applies to a bicycle. Right. Mm-hmm. <sighs> uh, yeah. So <laughs> you might, you know, spend an extra 15 at the bike shop, but you know what you might also get to do soon is yield at stop signs. <laughs> Yay. Uh, yeah. There's a, it's pretty fantastic. There's a, we'll post a link to the article. Uh, Jonathan actually pulled up a very old infographic from a Portlander uh, background the first time this went through. That is just like the most calming four minute demonstration of how like sensible this whole thing is. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> like, oh. You watch this, I mean, and you're just like, well, why are we still trying to do this? Like, this should have been a done thing. Yeah. Says the very biased Guthrie who likes the bike. <laughs> um, <laughs> but let's be real. Hey, um, we're not we're not here for unbiased news anyway. This is true. This is true. <laughs> um, no, it's fantastic. I want to hope that it will pass i think i'm hedging my bet this time around and saying it probably won't only Ooh. so that i can be satisfied. so you can be uh, theoretically surprised later i'm aiming for pleasantly yeah. surprised okay um i wish i had a quarter i would say like heads it'll pass tails it won't that's kind of what it feels 100%. like yeah 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 so we shall see um probably come on kate brown do the right thing right you can do it mm-hmm. um hey we got not only do we have an Idaho stop law in effect here, you know what else we have? What do we have? We got mail. Hey, we got mail. From former co-host Brandon Rhodes, Dear Map People. Dear Map People. Let me bring this up here real quick. I've got it if you want. Oh, you do? Yes. Okay. Uh, so Brandon shares this very insightful article. I really like this kind of article because um, I enjoy things that take a common perception and kind of turn it on its head. Uh-huh. And I admit that even I am uh, like, th- this was kind of like mind blowing because I was like, oh, I've never thought about it this way. 
you know, things that you assume to be. Uh, he says, dear map people, routing is the most wonderful tool we have to reduce the environmental impact of driving, making cities quieter, safer, and more livable and fighting congestion. And you are blowing it. Mm, how, this, how does routing make an impact on well, the environment? It goes on to say that this might be because here, the number two provider of map technologies was bought by a bunch of car companies, or because Google is headquartered in the suburbs, or that the financial world is fixated on opening the Pandora's box of self-driving cars. But the end result is the same. Bicycle and multimodal routing continues to be a toy, and driving directions keep getting better. Ooh. We have yeah, had, yeah. We have nearly real-time reports of car crashes, so the drivers can shave a few more minutes off their commute. Blocked bike lanes are invisible in the system. Even lanes that are redirected into street traffic because of construction that lasts for months are all the same. Google Maps lets you avoid tolls and highways in your car, but sees no difference between a sharrow, a protected bike lane, or a so-called bike-friendly road. So-called, definitely. <laughs> we have the yeah. technology. 311 systems are flooded with cyclists reporting lane blockages. Historical data can be analyzed to identify which lanes are real and which are unenforced paint on the ground. Cross-referenced with traffic fatalities, cyclist safety can be accurately estimated. The same LiDAR and imagery synthesis LIDAR. being used for hyper-accurate self-driving maps could be used to measure the size of the shoulder, the presence of obstructing cars, and the use of horrible mixing zones. Uh, there's a... Yeah, we'll give it a sec. Yep. Speaking of cars. Yeah, right. The engine revved, right? Vroom, vroom. It's almost like it was fate. It's just like, I don't know. It's so interesting. Um, all right. Yeah, anyways. It's all good. Uh, we have the technology. 311 systems are flooded with cyclists reporting lane blockages. Historical data can be analyzed to identify which lanes are real and which are unenforced paint on the ground. Cross-referenced with traffic fatalities, cyclist safety can be accurately estimated. The same LiDAR slash imagery synthesis being used for hyper-accurate self-driving maps could be used to measure the size of the shoulder, the presence of obstructing cars, and the use of horrible mixing zones. What happened to multimodal routing? Directions that include multiple types of transit, like biking or driving to the train station? Why does Open Trip Planner have great support for multimodal routing in Portland, and the small startup, startup transit app does too, but every major player barely supports mixed modes? Ooh. What does it mean that cities like San Francisco and Washington, D.C. are installing bike lockers, and most cities have park-and-ride stations for reducing in-city traffic by encouraging people to take the subway into town, but Google Maps, Apple, and most of the apps on your phone will just recommend driving the whole way? Is there any bigger wasted opportunity to positively influence people's mobility choices than routing? Can companies continue to wax poetic about reinventing mobility and simultaneously encourage people to drive more? It's time to reroute. It's time. Wow, this is written by Tom McWright. Um, I'm not sure who this guy is, but this is a really well done article. Yeah, give me gave me some good food for thought you know i just hadn't uh that's a nice call out there no well yeah, well and, constructed and it even i it's something like even i have taken for granted as far as um routing mm -hmm. goes and and routing software i will shake my fist at google quite often but never thought like oh wait yeah cars have it so much better or mm -hmm. drivers have it so much better with like uh real-time reporting it's almost like if you're in it car culture is hard to deconstruct sometimes <laughs> mm -hmm. yes 
Yes. <laughs> Thoughts for the day. <laughs> On a lighter note, <laughs> our good friend Todd in D.C., Sent us this awesome picture. Speaking of not car culture. He says, I went on a Peugeot's bicycle rescue mission today in Amish country and saw a buggy with a bike rack. And I'm going to expand the picture and turn this around. Check this out. It took me a minute to to find the actual bike rack here, but it's it's there. Whoops. And let me scroll. Whoops. You just kind of have to look for it right there. It's mounted you know, almost as if it was uh, like a, a TriMet bike rack. Mm-hmm. You could just no way. set In the, the back wheels. There? Yeah, you could set the wheels. Folds down? Yep. Nice. Or it's not folds down. It's, it's, it's already, out. yeah, out in there. Yeah. Nice. They've got it figured out. Wow. Thank you yeah. to Todd for sending that in. That, I, that, that, that would be really fun to come along and beside and see. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to be on, on a bike tour and just, like, run into a bunch of, like, mm-hmm. Amish people riding bikes alongside. Yeah. Public transit. In yeah. a different way. <laughs> totally. <laughs> uh, well, I think this is it. We have reached the end of all things. That we have. Um, I'm going to confer with my proxy here real quick. Did you still want to read the out? No, you're snacking. <laughs> You're fine. <laughs> we'll do the outro here. She's She's got snacks right now. Snacks. All right, you ready? Let's do it. The Sprocket Podcast is produced at StreamPDX Community Audio Studio, thanks to the generous support of Open Signal. Our website is thesprocketpodcast.com. Email to thesprocketpodcast at gmail.com. Call or text to 503-847-9774. Twitter and the Instagrams at Sprocket Podcast. Thanks to Ryan J. Lane for our theme music. Hurt Bird for our headline sounder. Marcus Norman for graphic design. And thanks to our sustaining donors, Shadowfoot, Katharina Mellengard. Wayne Norman, Eric Iverson. Cameron Lean, Richard Wazinski, Tim Mooney. Glenn Kubish, Matt Kelly, Eric Wise. Todd Parker, Dan Gebhardt. Who's, Who's a, a time, time traveler. traveler? Dave knows. Chris Smith, Caleb Jacobson, J.P. Cooley, Peanut Butter Jar, Matt, Marco Lowe, Rich Otterstrom, Andrew in Colorado, Drew the Welder, Anna. Thank you for taking care of my niece right now. Andre Johnson, <laughs> King of Division, Richard G. Guthr- <laughs> wow, that, like all momentum died for Shut half up. a second. <laughs> Guthrie Stroud, who's sitting right next to me. Hello. Aaron Green, author of We Were Like Sons and founder of the Regranary. Campsite. Mackner's David, Nathan Poulton, Chris Rawson, Rory in Michigan, Michael Flournoy, Jeremy Kitchen, David Belay, Tim Coleman, Harry Hugel, EJ Finneran, congratulations, Brad Hipwell, Thomas Skato, Keith Hutchinson, Ranger Tom, Joyce Wilson, Ryan Tam, Derek Wagner, Jason Oftenberg, Microcosm Publishing, David Moore, Todd Grosbeck, thanks for the picture, Chris Barron, Chris Barron, and even though he doesn't want to be mentioned, Chris Barron. We'll have to add that third one back in. <laughs> Sean Baird, Simon, Gregory Braithwaite, Ryan Morrow, Jimmy Diesel, Dude Luna, Matthew Ricks, Marshall, Paula at Funitake Cyclecraft, Philip M., Spartan Dale, No Relation, Mr. T., who never really left, Bike Initiative Kiwana, Sarah G., Adam D., Go Dig a Hole, Beth Hammond, and all of our former donors who helped us get this far. Now brush our teeth and go to bed. Good timing. Well timed. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah.